0: church good to have you with us live today and good to have those who are live streaming us today as well we know you're out there we can tell we can tell how many are watching so just give us a little comment if we would if you would nana good to see you this morning if you're a guest today we like to say welcome home we're so glad you're here If you're looking for a church home we'd love for you to consider Vero christian church making that a part of your spiritual family Uh, This is a good day to be here because we're starting a new sermon series. It's always good to get in at the beginning. And so our November sermon series is entitled 24. Now, some of you may know, uh, we're sharing a name there with a popular television series. It went from 2000 to about 2009. And in each one of the series, uh, seasons, the, the whole season was focused on a secret agent named Jack Bauer. Kiefer Sutherland played... Jack Bauer, and the season followed him in one 24-hour day, followed him through one 24-hour day as he saved the world from the latest global threat. And so, but uh, I've got some jokes here about Jack Bauer. If some of you were fans of the series, you might appreciate this, because he was kind of like the Chuck Norris of secret agents. For instance, um GI Joe plays with Jack Bauer action figures. That's how important Jack Bauer was. It takes 24 hours just or 24 weeks rather just to watch what Jack Bauer does in a single day. And here's another one. When the boogeyman goes to sleep, he checks his closet for Jack Bauer. Well, so the name, the name 24 and the 24-hour time frame is really all this sermon series is going to have in common with 24. Because it's not likely that any of us is going to have a day like Jack Bauer had. As, I mean, they were exciting, but they weren't really realistic, which maybe that's why they were so fun to watch. But it's unlikely that we're going to be in a gunfight today or uncover a plot to assassinate the president or we're going to interrogate a terrorist today or even be in a high-speed car chase. Not likely in Vero Beach. Our days are a little more mundane and routine, but that's okay. What I want to do in this series is take a look at an average day and some of the mundane things that we do and sort of connect those things to God and our worship of God. Because when you think about it, there is no corner or square inch of our lives that God does not inhabit. He's involved in every second of our days. And so some of these things might become little hooks and reminders for that, for each of us. So each Sunday, I'm going to look at the three or four things and ways to remind us that God is in the average day. Now, let me start off, for instance, as we go along, you probably catch on to what I'm doing. We'll start off with waking up in the morning, waking up in the morning. And I'm connecting that with a thought about baptism. Lamentations 3.23. If you read the one year Bible, which we've talked about before. Then you are reading in Lamentations this past week. God's mercies begin afresh each morning. Matthew 3.17 is God's pronouncement over Jesus at his baptism. He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Waking up in the morning. Okay, I'm going to ask a question here. It's not a trick. I'm not going to denigrate anybody. But how many here are early early birds, versus night owls. How many early birds do we have? Morning people. Okay, morning people. What about the night owls? That would be everybody else. We got, a, we got a few more night owls than we have early birds. And you night owls should be happy this morning because you everybody got an extra hour of sleep today. But regardless of who we are, we're all kind of the same when we wake up in the morning. You could be the CEO of a company or the COO or the CFO or some C-level. You could be a mayor or a governor or a senator or a congressman. You could be president of the United States. Or you could be a little child. Or you could be retired. We're all the same when we wake up. We wake up. We got the bad breath. We got bed hair. You know, nobody's important when they wake up. We sit up in our pajamas. whatever whatever we wear when we sleep? And uh, our, our pupils are dilating, trying to get focused to the light. We're totally vulnerable coming in to the new day. We're kind of all the same. Now, so you you think about that, and then think about Jesus' baptism. So when we wake up, we haven't done anything for the day. We haven't done anything significant. We haven't done anything important. We haven't put on our little identities yet. We haven't gotten up as moms or dads or employees or fellow workers or students. You know, we're just brand new into the day. When God said at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, interestingly, he hadn't really done anything significant yet you read the gospels and we get the accounts of jesus birth we get one story about his childhood his boyhood and then boom we're at the banks of the jordan river and he's being baptized which means that for at least a couple of decades there jesus is just an average person living a life of relative obscurity he's getting up every day he's going to work he's working with his hands They with the community and his family. He's just a guy like everybody else. And then we're at the banks of the Jordan River, and he's standing with the crowd. He's one in a crowd. And he emerges, and he gets baptized. And here comes this pronouncement. Hey, this is my son. This is the son of God that I love and whom I am well pleased. Now, he would go on from his baptism. He's heading out into the wilderness, do battle with Satan. He's going to have his three-plus years of baptism. public ministry going to be doing a lot of great things but at that point he hadn't done any of that i mean this pronouncement over jesus in a way it would make more sense if it came after the feeding of the multitudes and and god said oh this is my son and my will please my beloved son or maybe after the big reveal when he raises lazarus from the dead but it's not it's at the very beginning before he's really done anything and so the things that jesus did his service, his miracles, his ministry, his death and resurrection, his mission of redemption, none of that was to earn the love of the Father. He had the love of the Father. It issued forth out of his identity as the beloved one. When we are baptized, you think about it, when we were baptized, in a sense, that's really God's first word of grace that is spoken over us. We haven't shared anything. We haven't served. We haven't sacrificed We haven't done anything for God, and at that time we are saved by grace through faith at our baptism. God pronounces His word of grace, uh, Colossians two twelve. Paul writes, "For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead." So when we're baptized, the Bible says we are clothed with Christ. We put on Christ. We don that identity. Did you know that uh, the identity of the beloved in Christ? Did you know that Lutherans are taught, many Lutherans are taught first thing in the morning when they wake up to do the sign of the cross first thing and remember their baptism? Now think about their baptism. Romans 6.3 challenges us. Remember our baptism. Dorothy Bass writes about this Lutheran practice. She says, for all Christians... Baptism embodies release from yesterday's sin and receipt of tomorrow's promise. Going under the water, the old self is buried in the death of Christ. Rising from the water, the self is new, joined to the resurrected Christ. Martin Luther charged each member of his community to regard baptism as, quote, the daily garment which he is to wear. You remember your baptism? You know, I remember mine. I, I remember some of yours, too. So I was there for some of them. And I was a little kid the Englewood Christian Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Just a kid. I remember though. I can still remember coming up out of the water. I, I had a feeling of being fresh and new, clean. I remember the, the church ladies who came over and gave me a hug and kissed me on the head. I remember being excited about uh, being able to take communion next Sunday. But remembering our baptism, not so much about remembering the details of that specific historic event, as it is remembering our identity. The Bible says when we're saved, when we're baptized, God seals us with the Holy Spirit. He seals us as belonging to Him. We enter into and assume that identity with the Son as the Beloved. We're going to go forth and we're going to worship God and we're going to serve and we may sacrifice. None of that's to earn the Father's love. We have the Father's love. Here's the challenge. First thing when you wake up in the morning as consciousness is coming, remember your baptism. You are God's son that he loves. You are God's daughter, the beloved one, in whom he is well-pleased and the rest of the day issues forth from that identity. No other identity that we will put on in the rest of the day is more important than that identity. Waking up and baptism. All right, number two, let's talk about making the bed. Making the bed and our daily habits. Proverbs 31, 22, she makes her own bedspreads, this worthy woman. Proverbs 21, 5, steady plotting brings prosperity. The daily habits that we go through in each day. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I wonder how many of us are the kind of people who get up every morning and we make our bed. Now, they've been talking about it. No, you're not embarrassed. All right, some people are going to volunteer. You're bed makers. And the first two services, people were talking about this. And some people have a rule. Last one out of the bed has to make the bed. Okay, so there's that. But there are people who never make their bed, and their rationale goes like this. What's the point? I'm just going to mess it up again tonight. Now, with the dishes, you got to wash the dishes so you have clean dishes to eat on. With the laundry, same thing. But the bed functions just as well, whether the sheets are messy or they're pulled tight and tucked under the corners. Now, in a commencement speech at the University of Texas, retired U.S. Navy Admiral SEAL, William McRaven, said this. Now, he authored a book. Listen to the title of his book. It's called Make Your Bed. (laughs) Little things can change your life and maybe the world. But he told students that the importance of making your bed every day was one of the most powerful lessons he learned as a Navy SEAL. He writes this, quote, or he said this, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. He added that making your bed helps to reinforce the importance of life's finer details. Quote, if you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you'll come home to a bed that's been made. Made by you. According to a recent survey of 2000 Americans, people who make their beds tend to be adventurous, confident, sociable, and high maintenance. Meanwhile, people who don't make their beds tend to be shy, moody, curious, and sarcastic. Further, <laughs> further, bed makers tend to be morning people who rise without alarm clocks they're likely to work in health or technology related fields those who don't make their beds on the other hand tend to be night owls prone to hitting the snooze button they tend to work in business or finance all right we have our little habits by which and our habits and our routines by which we are shaped We're shaped by the daily routines and habits of our day. Caleb Baker had a a blog, and it was entitled, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. So we have our routines. In church, on Sunday, we have a routine. We have an, uh, an order of things that we do here in church. Uh, If you're not familiar with this word, let me introduce you to the word liturgy. We don't use that word a lot. It's not a bad word, liturgy. It literally means an order of worship. That's a liturgy. Now, we're a non-liturgical church. Some of you may come from liturgical church backgrounds. We're non-liturgical in the sense that we don't have a prescribed uh, order of readings that we do or a prescribed order of activities for each one of our worship actions. So we're we're called free form. We're free form. But even in a free form church, we have our liturgy. We have an order of worship. If you've been a member here for any length of time, you pretty much know how this service is going to unfold. We do about the same things just about every Sunday. We're going to come in here. We're going to have prayer. We're going to sing. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have a sermon, usually by the same guy. Gonna, you know, the word of God. Then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to have offering. Then we're going to have more songs. We're going to have prayer. Go home, come back, rinse and repeat. We do the same things every Sunday, pretty much in the same way. And we may mix and match a little bit and lengthen this and shorten that, but pretty much the same. What's interesting is you go to just about any Christian church, all the Christian churches in the United States, free form, you go to just about any Christian church, you're going to have basically the same elements and many times the same order going on. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it may be routine. It may be repetitive, but you know what? God works his sanctification in us through the routine, the repetitive, the quiet, the ancient. Now, let me transition back from our liturgy on Sunday, our order of worship, to our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday, this average 24-hour day. And recognize the little routines that we go through in the day, God can use those too, and God is in those as well. For instance, for those who make their beds. we think about the creation account where God brought order and structure out of chaos, everything covered by darkness in the beginning, and God separates the dark from the light and the water above from the water beneath and forms the land and then the life. He's bringing order out of chaos. And when we make that bed we're bringing a little bit of order and structure into the chaos that surrounds our life and it reflects god really the thesis of this sermon series is the liturgy of the ordinary to look at our daily life and think of it these aren't just habits and routines that i'm going through to get to something important it's in these little routines they are it is my 24-hour day is an order of worship God is in these things. I connect with God in waking up. Think about my baptism, making the bed, and think about creation. An order of worship, the liturgy of the ordinary. And uh in the 24 series, Jack Bauer's 24 hour date, they skipped all the boring parts <laughs> to get to the exciting part. Nobody wants to watch Jack Bauer making his bed or brushing his teeth, at least not for very long. You know, but And sometimes we may think, I want to skip skip the boring parts of my life and get to the interesting, the exciting parts. God works in the quiet, the routine, the repetitive, and the ancient. Back to Sunday. You think about the things that we do. As a society, as a culture, we have to beware. We we in this culture are becoming addicted to novelty and stimulation. Entertainment is a huge part of our lives. I was reading about an experiment they did at the University of Virginia. They brought people in, and they had a little push button that would give them a mild electric shock. So they did that. They got the shock. They said, I don't want to feel that again. I don't like that. But when left alone in a room for 15 minutes without a smartphone, without listening to music, without being able to check the Internet or their email, 75% of the men and 15% of the women pushed that button and shocked themselves rather than sit there for 15 minutes without any stimulation. We love our stimulation. And sometimes we, you know, in church we think, Man, this is kind of slow, it's kind of repetitive, it's kind of routine. The words that we pray are ancient words. The prayer that was led this morning came from the Psalms and the Hebrews. Those are words that are thousands of years old. The Word of God from which we preach ancient the communion service that we will shortly observe is an ancient ritual going back thousands of years we need these things in our life we need the quiet the routine the ancient the repetitive for god to do his work of sanctification in our lives wake up remember our baptism make the bed reflect on the liturgy of the day all right, let's do one more. Uh, brushing our teeth and having a body. Brushing our teeth and living in a body. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 1. Your teeth are as white as sheep and that, and that are freshly washed. Not one is missing, which is encouraging. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about how much of our day is taken up with the care and maintenance of the body. We, it's a lot of trouble to have a body isn't it? You got to clean it. You got to brush it. You got to feed it, rest it, clothe it, take, you know, take care of the waste. It's just a lot. Of, and that's when we're well and everything's functioning right. You get sick and then it's tons more care. So it can be a pain. And brushing our teeth. You know, when I was a kid, I hated to brush my teeth. I was a terrible kid in this way. I faked it whenever I could and forget about floss. But every six months, my mom would say, Stevie, tomorrow we're going to see the dentist. Boy, that night, I attacked my teeth with the toothbrush, <laughs> brushing until my gums were raw, trying to make up. And I get to the dentist, and he made me chew one of those red pills. Did you have to chew the red pill? Shows the plaque on your teeth. Man, my teeth were solid red. And the dentist said, Stevie, I don't think you've been brushing your teeth. Yes, I have. No, I don't think you have. Sometimes Christians are accused of having wrong-headed ideas about the body. You know, there's, the, there's the extreme where we're, we're just all about the future and pie in the sky by and by, and spirits separated from bodies floating on the clouds. And the other extreme where we're, we think the body is bad maybe and we're all about policing other people's sexual activities. And, but if you think about it, New Testament Christianity is a thoroughly embodied faith. The mystery of the incarnation is God the Son, the second part of the Godhead, in, incarnated in flesh. He had a body too. He had to do the bodily maintenance, all the bodily maintenance that we do. He may not have had a blue Colgate toothbrush like me, but he had to take care of his body, he had to feed it, clothe it, wash it, care for it. In some sense, and in one sense, there's a shame There is shame associated with the body. Remember the fall of Adam and Eve in in the Garden of Eden. And now they know they're naked. And they try to cover themselves and hide from God. And they're ashamed. There's something undignified in ways about having a body and taking care of a body. And we don't even like to talk about some of those things. But Jesus entered into all of it. He entered into all of it. And even the shame of it. The Bible says that when we're baptized, we're clothed in Christ. When Jesus redeemed us, he redeemed us in a body, and he redeemed us spirit and body. We're not going to go to heaven and leave these bodies behind. Our spirits will be rejoined with our bodies. What affects our spirits and our souls affects the body. Soul care affects our body. Body care affects our spirit and our soul. Did you know that observant Jews use a prayer called Ashar Yatzar, which they recite after using the bathroom? It goes like this. Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who formed man with wisdom and created within him many openings and hollows. It is obvious and known before your throne of glory that if even one of them ruptures or if even one of them becomes blocked, it would be impossible to survive and to stand before you, even for a short period. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously I like that it calls us to gratitude and worship of God in the most undignified parts of our day so our shame and the indignity of having a body just like our sin is all resolved in Christ Jesus in a sense when I'm brushing my teeth, it could be like, what's the point? Like the making the bed because we're going to die eventually. Somebody has said, we're dust polishing dust. But we are more than dust. When God created us from the dust, he breathed through our lips and over our teeth, his breath into us. And we became living beings, spirit and body. So when we do our maintenance we're pushing back in a sense we're pushing we're pushing back against the death and chaos that will eventually overwhelm all of our bodies and we do that because we realize to take care of our bodies and help take care of the bodies of those around us that is a sacred act of worship this is a gift a temple of the holy spirit One more quote for you here. Trish Warren writes, When we use our bodies for their intended purpose, in gathered worship, raising our hands, or singing, or on an average day, sleeping, or savoring a meal, or jumping, or hiking, or running, or having sex with our spouse, or kneeling in prayer, or nursing a baby, or digging a garden, it is glorious. As glorious as a great cathedral being used, just as its architect had dreamt that it would be. So brushing your teeth is a nonverbal prayer to God. Thank you for this body. And I'm going to think of you and worship you as I care for and maintain it. And your fresh, minty breath is a foretaste of eternity to come. We're going to have these teeth for all eternity. He gave them to us for a good purpose and an eternal purpose. Wake up and remember your baptism, make your bed and reflect on the creativity of God and the order of worship, the liturgy of an average day. Brush your teeth, reflect on this body and the care for it and others is a sanctified act. Let us pray. Father in heaven, this is the day that you have made. This average day, you have given it to us as a gift. And long ago, you knew that we would be in this day just as it is in our homes, where they stand, in our relationships with their specific beauty and brokenness, in our particular sins and struggles, and in this particular church. We are in your kingdom and under your blessing, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.